some time out of your Sunday uh, to be here with us. Thank you. Uh, put your hands together for Jeremy. Oh, you're messing up my intro. Um, have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Maybe you still want to be a superhero, and maybe you wanted to be a superhero like the two individuals behind me. Now, I know there are some other superheroes besides Spider-Man and Wonder Woman, right? But um, I still think that, you know, maybe at some point in time you wanted to be a superhero. And the question we're going to look at today, or we're going to look at, is going to be, what do we love and what do we think about superheroes? And what makes them so special? Because I think that in some way, some shape, some form, we're all drawn, we're all tied, we're all, you know, looking forward to possibly being a superhero. Now, tonight, today's message is entitled, Last of the Avengers. And so... Here are the sort of original Avengers. I had to do some research, meaning um, I asked a friend of mine who was really into the Avengers, hey, who are the original Avengers, right? So found this poster from eons ago, and so there are the original Avengers. You got Iron Man and Captain America, Thor, and some others, right? And I know that this series has really drawn a lot of people in. And today we're going to talk about possibly another one of the biblical Avengers or biblical superheroes. And for those of you out there may want to know, hey, Jeremy, who's your favorite Avenger? Well, like I just said to you before, I'm not really an Avenger guy. But for some of you, and depending upon what you really like, you know, Thor may be your guy, right? Thor may be your guy. He's got the great hammer. He can do all these great things. He's got all these great you know, awesome, awesome powers that he can, you know, pull upon to save the day. And so Thor may be your guy. And I'm not trying to say anything, but he's got some pretty sweet hair, right? I mean, come on, he's got some pretty sweet hair. So he might be your guy. Others of you out there, and especially here at Kikalico last couple or a few weeks ago, several of our young adults decided to um, go into the military. And so maybe possibly for some of you, Captain America is your guy. You can just tie and connect with that person. You can connect with the fact that he doesn't necessarily have any direct superpowers, but he has the ability to push his human abilities to their absolute breaking point. Right, so Captain America might be your guy. And in the end, you might be like me, and maybe this is because I didn't really pay attention to sort of superheroes, except for when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, I'm sorry, but other than the $6 million bionic man, the other great superhero that I thought was the Incredible Hulk. I mean, come on. Other than the fact that he's green, who wouldn't want to look like the Incredible Hulk? And I venture to ask you, if you made Thor green and the Incredible Hulk not green, who would really be your affection? I mean, imagine Thor as being green, okay? That's all I'm saying. So I don't know about you, but I would love to have a vein that's as big as my arm. That would be pretty sweet, all right? So the Hulk is my guy. And so those of you may be thinking, well, maybe it's not that one. Maybe you have another one. But you always wanted potentially to aspire to be a superhero. And the things that are drawn, that draw us into superheroes, are that no matter what's going on, and no matter what's happening, no matter how dire the situation, no matter how bleak it gets, there could be buildings falling, holes in the ground, missiles everywhere, massive rainstorms, or what have you. Whatever the situation is, we always know, somehow, some way, the superhero is going to 
find a way to swoop in and save the day. And that's just awesome. Whether it's Superman figuring out a way to fly down and save the day, whether it's Superman figuring out a way to get his jammed web shooter to save the day and get the damsel in distress, or the Hulk picking up some building and throwing it away, whatever it is. It's just awesome, right? Come on, your second service. It's awesome, right? I mean, come on. I'm already sweating. It's already second service, all right? It's just awesome because we're drawn to this opportunity where we may have to think about at one point in life that I might too have this chance to be a hero. I might be able to save the day. Somehow, some way, I would just really love to have that opportunity. And somehow the world of Hollywood always makes it to where we get to see other people have these opportunities. And yet I long to possibly have one. And the other reason I think, or some of the other reasons I think that we're drawn to superheroes is that we love to see a person who is at the end of themselves. Their energy is spent. They are gone. They're done. They got nothing left. Yet at that moment, somehow, some way, they kick it into another gear. Something inside of them says, no, I can't give up. I must keep going. And through that, they then help save the day. And so I venture to you this morning to say one of the reasons we love superheroes so much and that we're just drawn to that is that we love to see that when purpose kicks in is when we are at the end of our passion, right? Purpose kicks in when passion runs out. So these superheroes have a passion to save the day. They have this energy. They have this ability to want to always want to make something happen. Right, but at the some point, all of that energy is going to come to an end. It's going to come to a close. And the only thing that's going to save them is their purpose, that they must fulfill this purpose. They've got to figure out a way. And so their purpose kicks in when their passion runs out. Some of you in this room have already displayed this great, great power of when purpose kicks in is when our passion runs out. How many of you sometime at some point get to the end of your rope after hearing this 15, 30, 100 times? Daddy, 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 right? Passion only takes you so far. The love and care of your children only takes you so far. And the number of times that I, as a dad, hear daddy is only one one hundredth, one two hundredth, one three hundredth of the time that my wife hears, Mama, 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 your dad is standing right there, Mama, 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 right? At some point, passion runs out. It runs out. But why do you answer? Why do you keep going? Because the purpose of being the purpose of being a mom or being a dad or some other purpose continues to drive you even when your passion and your love and care for that individual runs out. There will be many of you that can think back or are looking forward to a time that you will be awake at 2 a.m. in the morning trying to put together a toothpick, bridge, a toothpick bridge that must hold four pounds of weight. And if it doesn't hold four pounds of weight, I automatically lose 30% of my grade. And if I don't have architectural right, and if I don't have this amount right, my whole grade is shot. And lo and behold, at that point in time, you're going to be short on toothpicks. So who's going to the store at 2 a.m. to get more toothpicks? 
You. You're going. Why are you going to be there? Why are you going to be in that moment with your children doing those things? Because I guarantee you, passion ran out four hours ago. For some of you, passion ran out six hours ago. All right? But that's when your purpose kicks in. Purpose kicks in when our passion runs out. So this morning, we're going to look at superheroes, and we're going to look at one of the superheroes of the Bible. We're going to look in Judges chapter 13, and we're going to look at the book of, or Judges 13, and we're going to look at the story of Samson. This is a very well-known story, and for some of you, you're going to have a really hard time not going ahead, meaning you're going to want to think of these contexts and these messages this morning in the, rest, in the context of the rest of Samson's life. And I caution you not to do that. I caution you this morning to stay with me in Judges 13. Let's just look at the story about how Samson came to be. Because unlike some of the other judges that we've talked about, his story starts from the beginning. And I venture to say that it starts from the beginning because there's something ingrained in Samson that he has that others potentially don't. He has a secret sauce. And I venture to say we love superheroes because they have a secret sauce. And unlike some of our superheroes, he doesn't have to get bit by an animal or get exposed to gamma rays or have some other crazy thing happen for him to get this power. Samson is given this power because it is built into him. And today is a story of how that power is built in. So we're going to jump into the story, Judges 13, and unlike some of the other judges, we have a long narrative as to how he was born. And there are a few other stakeholders in this story. Primarily, his dad, Manoah, and his mom, all we know affectionately as Manoah's wife. So we will jump into the story, Judges th chapter 13, it's on page 201 in the Bibles in front of you. Here it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, Right? We've been in this story a little bit long enough. We understand, judges, that they came, you know, Israelites at the end of Joshua said, hey, we're going to go into our promised land, and we're going to do all these great things, and for, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? Well, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. They keep doing the wrong things. And so God has had to continue to raise up people in order to rescue the Israelites. So guess what? Uh, Jephthah is gone. Here we are again. The Israelites are continuing to do evil in the sight of the Lord. However, the Lord at this point basically got done with them and said, for the midst of what's going on right now, I'm just going to push you off and I'm going to give you over to the Philistines because I'm just sort of upset with you. I'm just sort of tired with you. So they are underneath the oppression and at the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And then at this point, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless and unable to give birth. So now we, we meet Manoah's wife, and we meet Manoah. And going forward, we do not know her name. All we know her as is Manoah's wife, or I, I will refer to her potentially just as, as Samson's mother. For whatever reason, she wasn't given a name in this story. She wasn't provided that to us. But she has a very important part to play. And like a lot of women in that day, she struggled with being barren. She struggled with being childless. There are several examples in the Bible of women who struggled with being barren. We can remember Sarah and Abraham, Isaac and Rebekah, and there are others that struggled with being barren. 
And when they struggled with being barren, because in that time on that day, women drew a lot of purpose from the fact that they could be a mom and continue to move forward in the line and continue on with their families, they felt a lot of pressure. And it was looked at as being a curse from God if you were not able to have children. So you can imagine what Manoah's wife is feeling at this time. I remember when you look at the story back in Genesis chapter 16 with Abraham and Sarah, Sarah had a promise from God that this was going to happen, and yet she still didn't have enough patience. She still gave this idea, crazy as it may be in the time, to have her husband go sleep with one of their servants, and that that way he could then have an offspring, Ishmael, and that they could then hopefully fulfill the promise. She wasn't willing to wait for Isaac. Why? Because the pressure sometimes of trying to fulfill this purpose that you feel like you have or to feel like you have this curse upon you drives you to potentially do really crazy things, right? And I'm not going to say here that Manoah's wife ultimately went out and did some crazy things, but if you look at her story, as we will, you will see how she walked through this process of being childless. So in verse 3, here it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless. Thanks for pointing that out. I already knew that. But you are going to become pregnant, and you are going to give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other, other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. Awesome. I didn't ask where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. So we're going to pause here for a minute. And if I can paint this picture for you, you have Manoah's wife, who was just trying to live out her life underneath Philistine oppression. She's underneath the Philistines, she's underneath their oppression, and she's just basically trying to go about her daily duties. And I think that we can sort of figure out, she's just trying to get up in the morning, do what she's supposed to do, and then go back to bed. She's just trying to be the best person that she can be. In the midst and in the process of knowing that she is barren. And the NIV version back in verse 2 says that she was literally unable to have children. And then at this moment, an angel of the Lord appears to her and gives her this message. All right? And so what ultimately then happens is she becomes really, really excited. And so what you have is that she didn't necessarily ask any questions. She just ran to Manoah, right? And if you have been waiting for a message for a long time, and then it comes, and then you're in shock of hearing what you thought you just heard, yes, I'm going to have a child, at that point in time, I don't know about you, but I'm probably not thinking of a lot of questions. I'm not really concerned with a lot of questions. All I'm really concerned about is, awesome, I'm going to have a kid, right? Now, I'm not a woman, but you get what I'm feeling. I'm saying. We're going to have a child, and I have been longing for this. So she didn't ask any questions. She just accepted it. She just said, okay, I'm gonna, this is going to happen to me. She was only given one thing to do, 
And she knew that. She transferred that and passed it on to Manoah. Because the next thing that she did was that she went and told him. So she's out doing her job, just living her life. This angel appears to her. You're about to have a child. And the first thing she does is run and tells her husband. Because she's so excited. She now has energy. She has this passion that has been drawn, that is inside of her now, that is driving her. Okay, that's what I picture, that's what I see, is a woman who has now received this message that she has been longing and longing and longing to hear. And then the first thing she does is she runs and she tells Manoah. And in that process, she's like, this is awesome. Okay, she is fired up, she's ready to go, I think you can feel her passion. And at the same time, she is wondering what is going to happen next. So there's some very interesting things to think about here, too. What the angel told her was that the baby was going to make a Nazarite vow. And so part of that vow, which has three parts, which you can find in Hebrews chapter 6, was given directly to her. She had to abstain from anything that contained grapes, fermented drink or wine or anything that came from the grapevine. She couldn't consume it. And it wasn't told to her just, it was told to her once, and then she repeated it to her husband, so it was fairly clear that is what she needed to do. That is one part of a Nazarite vow. The second part of a Nazarite vow is that you are to refrain from cutting the hair on your head. And this vow, or this portion of the vow, was given to her son, Samson. She was to raise him, and that there was no razor supposed to come to his head. And by doing so, eventually, as his hair grew, now, was it as beautiful as Thor's? I don't know. But at some point, it would be long and flowing, and people would begin to realize this person has been set apart. This person has been separated by God and is special and has a special purpose because they were to refrain from cutting the hair on the head. The third part and the last part of the Nazarite vow was that they were to basically become, to avoid becoming ceremonially unclean. They were not to have any contact with any sort of dead bodies or corpses, uh, and that would include family members. So those were the three parts of the Nazarite vow. When we try to put this into today's context, it's like people who would work on a fast. It's like when you would potentially, people that would set things aside for a certain period of time. So maybe it's, I'm just going to refrain from you know, I don't know exactly what it is. It's, uh, there's like, is there a Fosnot day out there or donut day where you sort of gouge on donuts and you gouge on donuts because you're going to give them up for 40 days or whatever all that is? I don't know all the details. I just know that on some Tuesday in February, I think, like 100 powdered donuts find my way to their office, right? You go down to the office and there are just powdered donuts everywhere and you make sure you wear a light-colored shirt because otherwise you got powder all over your shirt, Right? So, but that's the idea. They're going to give something up, right? They're going to make this vow, or they're going to have this fast, and they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to give this up. But they're only really going to give it up for a certain period of time. This is not necessarily intended to be something that you would give up or not do for your entire life. It's something that you would do for a period of time, similar to a fast, whatever that would potentially look like. However, in this case, Samson was set out from the womb, so he was set apart from the very, very beginning. And when Manoah's wife spoke to him, she said, it's going to be from the womb until the day that he dies. So he was supposed to live his life underneath of this vow, separated by God for his entire, or separated for God for his entire life. So he was never to have his hair cut ever and to keep this vow, okay? 
And that was relatively unusual in those times and would be relatively unusual in today's world that people would literally fast from something for their entire lives. But back in that day, it was only for a period of time. But there were special requirements. God was building something inside of Samson in order to make him different, in order to help him lead the Israelites out from the Philistines. He ultimately didn't fulfill that, but he was the one who began that process. So God built this into his life. As we continue down in the story, we're going to go relatively quickly through a fair amount of verses, and then we'll recap. But you're going to begin to see some of the other things that were built in to not only Manoah and his wife, but in their interactions with the Lord. So we're going to pick the story back up in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. So Manoah now says, look, my wife didn't ask any questions. I got a few questions, all right? So you better come back. I have a few questions. Verse 9, God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. Very interesting that the angel of the Lord said, all right, I'll come back, but I'm not coming back to you. You may not necessarily play a huge part in this story. I'm going to come back to the woman. Uh, but that's they, the, the angel of the Lord came back. Verse 10, the woman again hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. You can still feel her excitement. You can still feel her passion. Verse 11, Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I have told her. Listen, I already told you my message. The woman just has to understand that this is what she needs to do. If your spouse understands that, then that's where we're going to go. Because the angel of the Lord did not give any additional information. And in fact, he's like, fine, if you don't know, I'll repeat it. Verse 14. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. So I know you want me to give you more information, Manoah, but I'm not. I'm done. This is the message. This is what I need from your wife. She is supposed to fulfill the first part of the Nazarite vow, and that's what I've set apart. She must do what I have commanded her. Verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Would you like to stay until we prepare a young goat for you? The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that that it was the angel of the Lord. Verse 17. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. Again, I think becoming a little bit more annoyed The angel of the Lord says, why do you ask my name? It is beyond your understanding. It's beyond understanding. Stop asking me these questions. Let's just get on with what we need to get on with. Verse 19, then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized it was the angel of the Lord. And in typical fashion, we are doomed to die, he said. 
We have seen God. So he goes straight to the ultra overreaction, we're going to die. And in that day, if you thought you had seen the face of the Lord, you had to fall on the ground and potentially you would die. But he went straight there. And I think there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of things we can glean from his wife's response. Verse 23. But, the wife, but his wife answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, nor told us this. So what is she saying? She's saying, Manoah, if we were really going to die, the angel of the Lord wouldn't have come to me and given me this, this, this um, great opportunity to bear a son. He wouldn't have come back and it potentially answered all of your questions, but basically reiterating that we are going to have a son and that I need to fulfill the first part of the Nazarite vow. They have shown us all these things, Manoah. We don't have to do any more and we're not going to die. She responded, calm, determined, focused, and secure. And I think what you can see is that Manoah's wife is beginning to act out of her purpose. And when she acts out of her purpose, she is acting very calm, she's very determined, she's very focused. Because she has some great things when you start to get to the point where you know what your purpose is and where you're headed. You can have a starting point. And from that point, it can then drive you to have clarity. I know what's going to happen here, Manoah. I'm going to become pregnant. I'm going to have an opportunity to be a mom. I am then going to raise him as I have been told by the angel of the Lord. And so she's probably setting in motion in her mind and in everything else all the things that she is thinking and all the things she's going to have to do in order to carry the baby to term and then continue to be his mother. Okay? And so she already has a clarity. She has direction. She is focused. She understands what she needs to do. And she has been given the passion and the energy and the drive to continue to push that forward. Right? She now has this. She's not just living out her days anymore. She's not just underneath the Philistine oppression trying to do the right thing and just try not to get bothered and live her life. She now has direction, clarity, she has purpose, and she is pushing that forward. And she's been given this passion to continue to fulfill this, and that passion is fueling what she is doing. And then at some point, if you continue to act out with your purpose, you're going to get to some level of success, happiness, or conclusion, or whatever that looks like. Okay? It's your definition. But if you continue to act out in purpose, you're going to have clarity, direction, you're going to have passion that's going to fuel that. And at some point, you're going to get down to the end, you're going to get to sort of a, a job well done. You're going to get to the end, okay, and you're going to have a success, whatever that success potentially looks like. But the thing here is that from the beginning of the chapter now to the end of the chapter, we can see this great growth in Manoah's, in Manoah's wife or Samson's mom because of what the Lord has given her. And the Lord has given her this, and she is continuing to push it forward. As we wrap up the story in Judges 13, it says the woman gave birth to a boy and they called him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him when he was in Manistan between Zorah and Eshtal. Right, so ultimately it comes to conclusion and Samson is born. And as he grew, the Lord blessed him. So he is a Nazarite. He's taken the Nazarite vow. He wasn't really given an option, but his mom fulfilled step one, 
and they're going to continue on, and that no razor is going to come to his head, okay? And so uh, that is where he will derive his strength. And you will see that that is really the only part of the Nazarite vow that Samson really had to fulfill as he moved forward. But he begins this process, and God has begun to bless him and begun to set him apart for the purpose that he has. And I found it very interesting there in verse 25 where it says, the Lord began to stir him. And I start to wonder, well, what is he stirring? What is the Lord stirring inside of Samson? Is there something that I should have inside of me that could be stirred? Is there something that I don't have? You know, what is going on? But whatever was happening from the time that Samson was conceived in the womb and as he came through birth, then he was born, he already had something inside of him. There was something there built into the fabric of Samson that the Lord began to stir. And then from that, he would hopefully begin to lead the charge for the Israelites to begin to relieve them from the oppression of the Philistines. So if we look at this narrative all together at once, there are a few things that I want to challenge you with. I want you to take some time this week and I want you to examine what are those things that fuel me? What are those things that give me life? Because if you're wondering and you're thinking, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know exactly what I need to do. Or maybe I have various things and I'm not sure about what they are. If you look at where you have passion and things that give you life or fulfill you, you may be able to begin to see potentially what some of the purposes are for your life. Because Manoah's wife or Samson's mom became alive with passion when she finally was given the word that she was going to become a mom. It, it just stirred inside of her something. It gave her this energy that she had never had before. And there are things there that then continue to drive her in whatever that may be. And so this week, sit down and think, what are those things that fuel me? For those of you that know me or for those of you that probably have an impression of me already, it's probably not hard to figure out that I get energized and that I get life from being around people. That is just something that I love to do. It's something that I will pretty much break all rules of common sense in order to make happen, and it really brings me life, which means if you call me up at 8 o'clock at night and you want to meet at 9 o'clock and whatever we're going to go do is going to take till 2 o'clock, even though I've got to get up at 5 a.m. the next morning, I am most likely your guy, all right? That's probably 95% of the way true, right? So there's going to be only some very, very small circumstances where that is not going to happen because by doing that and fulfilling that, I'm going to get life. Even though I may feel like I'm dog tired the next day, I'm going to remember the experience and remember the time that I had with those people and interacted with them, and that's going to fuel me for the rest of the day because I get life from other people. I get fueled by other people. Right? I just love being able to interact. I value and I strongly desire to have relationship. And so I will pretty much break all rules. I don't know what that is for you. For some of you, it may be the complete opposite. I want to go into a quiet room, sit on a couch, and read a book for the next three hours, and that really fuels me. If that is what fuels you, do not call me because that's like the worst thing that I could possibly get. In fact, I probably would be asleep within five minutes. And if it's an audio book, you get another minute. Right? If it's an audio book, six minutes to sleep, actual book, five minutes and I'm gone. Okay? But depending upon who you are, and God's made us differently, that may fuel you. I don't know exactly what that is for you. But as you think about what are things that give me purpose, and then what does that look like, be on the lookout for things that give you life. And I want to leave you with a challenge. The challenge that I want to leave you with is going to be threefold. 
If you're a little bit on the younger side in the room today, I want you to take the opportunity this week to seek to find these things. Seek to find potentially what your purpose is. You have a lot of time out ahead of you. There's a, we work with the young adults here, my wife and I, and oftentimes they're going, I'm not 100% sure where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do. They're still figuring things out. And that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly okay. That's where they are in life. But take that opportunity, take this time, and seek to find what are those things that drive our purpose. What are those things that drive what we want to do? If you're in the middle, kind of like me, and maybe you've gotten a little bit off course, I want you to take the challenge to be determined to fulfill the purposes in your life or things that you have. What I mean by that is that you may have made some decisions that may have you on the side or maybe gotten you a little bit off the path you really wanted to go to, and you need to be pulled back in or you need to refocus. And the great thing about God is that he will always give you an opportunity to come back to refocus, to recenter. One of the things for me is that I have been with a small group for the last year and I've been walking through with these guys some different areas of my life. And in one of those areas, I always desired to be a great husband and a great dad. That's something that I always desired and always really wanted to be. And I believe that as I began to look at these in my life, I really felt like I was missing the mark in the area of being a great dad. I probably was a good dad. I probably was an okay dad. But I don't know if that's what I'm called to be. I don't know if I'm called to be an okay dad. And so I felt a little bit of pain. I felt some shame in the fact that I was not being the man that I wanted and desired to be in this area. And I believe that I have made some changes in my life that have begun to make me a better dad. For example, I often, up until, uh, and more recently, and I um, probably still fail at this from time to time, but I often would come home, and my goal when I came home would be to just slide in the door as quietly as I could, figure out the temperature of the room, figure out what's going on with all my children and my wife, figure out how I could basically not be any type of disruption, slide in the back, slide into the flow of life, get through the evening, get to bed, and get up and go and start at the rest of the day. Mainly because I was tired. I was worn out. I was physically, mentally, and somewhat spiritually exhausted. And the easiest thing for me to do was just to get into the flow of life and not actually engage, not actually take any type of role in what was happening in the house. And unfortunately, from time to time, that would leave my spouse hung out to dry, and that would not really give her any type of help or support. And so I wasn't fulfilling that role. And that doesn't mean that I've been perfect ever since then. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect going forward. But what it means is, is that I am determined to fulfill, to the best of my ability, my role as a dad. I want to come home and I want to engage. I want to listen to them. I want to engage in their lives. And I want them to know that their dad cares. I don't want them to think that their dad just came in, we had a few laughs, we had a good time, and that's kind of what I think of my dad. Right? So I am, at my stage in life, I am determined to fulfill the promise that I thought I would have or my desire to have, which was to be a better father. So for those of you in my stage of life, whatever that is, I challenge you to look at those things in your life where you may not necessarily be fulfilling those things, or maybe you've gotten a little bit off course, or maybe gotten a little bit lazy. You can always come back. Now, for those of you that may be on the other end, maybe a little bit on the older side of life, I want to challenge you to not coast to the end. I want to challenge you to not just slide to the end of your life. The Lord still has you here for a purpose. He still has you here for a reason. 
And I don't know exactly what that looks like for you. I don't know if it's full-edge retirement. I don't know exactly what that is. But I'm going to challenge you to try to find purpose and meaning as you work to the end, whether that's transferring knowledge that you have, life experiences, or engaging in other things and engaging in other people. Whatever that looks like for you, don't coast to the end. Don't just get up in the morning and coast through the day. Right? Make sure that you work through yourself to figure out what are those things that I can still offer. Because as while and as long as you are here, you have things to offer. And so I'm going to challenge you to just not coast to the end. Take this week and take some time and examine those things. Because I think if we can begin to see some of these things in our lives, we, like Manoah's wife, will become alive. And we'll begin to get clarity and direction and drive in certain areas. And that will begin to push us forward to fulfill the purposes that God has for our lives. Samson was set apart, and so he had a specific purpose. And I want to challenge you with this statement in saying that having a specific purpose restores all the energy that you're expanding in order to try to fit in. What do I mean by that? In life, in the beginning, when you think about being a superhero, you don't care that you're different or that superheroes are different because they're cool and they're awesome and it's okay that they're different. But as you go on in life, the idea of becoming different is the scariest, craziest thought you could ever have. Because we just want to be accepted. We just want to be fit in with everybody. We don't want to be set apart. We don't want to be different. We think that that's scary. I think the story of Samson challenges us to say, no, it's okay to be different. And if you can live and you can try to find your purpose, you will restore inside of yourself all the energy that you're expanding just trying to fit in with the crowd and just trying to run with the herd, and just trying to be like everybody else. If you can get to the point where you can say, no, it's okay. I don't have to be like everybody else. And you begin to try to fill out and live the purposes of your life, like Samson's mom and like Samson will try to do, it will restore all the energy that you're expanding to fit in, move it in a different direction, and continue to push you forward. So I want to challenge you to try to figure out what that is. And stop trying to spend your energy trying to fit in and put your energy to be set apart for God. Because when we have that, we will drive and we'll make forward. My last closing statement is this. We talked about Samson. We talked about that God stirred something in him. We talked about superheroes and that they have a special sauce. I believe that God has already given you that special sauce. I believe that you already have that and there is nothing more that you need. And I want to take you into the book of John. I didn't put it in my slides this morning, but in the book of John in the first verse, it talks about in verse 11, I'll just read it here. It says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about when the word was with God and then the word came to earth. The word came uh, to flesh. So when Jesus, talking about when Jesus came from heaven down to earth uh, and was ultimately born. So it came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. For those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has come and lived in you by his spirit, just like his spirit lives inside of Samson when he was born. And the same stuff that was in Samson is in you. 
You are a child of God. And the same stuff, the same special sauce that God sowed into Samson when he was born in the womb, when you were knit in your mother's womb, he sowed that into you as well. You already have the special sauce that you need to be a superhero in the lives of the people that you engage with. You don't need anything else. You don't need to have a special power. You don't need to get bitten by an animal. You don't need to drink some type of something else and make you some kind of weird genetic being. God's given it to you, just like he gave it to Samson. He's already stirring it inside of you. All you have to do is turn your eye to what that is and let God reveal it. But you already have it inside of who you are. You will find out that your purpose kicks in when your passion runs out. You will realize that you can go farther and faster than you ever dreamed possible if you find purpose in the things that you do. And if you do, you will be the superhero that God created you to be to those in your world. Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this story of Samson. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to learn and to listen and to grow from looking at how you have already given us that special sauce. You have already sowed those things inside of us that we already need to be the men and women that you desire for us. We already are superheroes. Father, I thank you that you love and care for us so much that we don't need anything other than your love, your direction to try to fulfill those purposes that you have sown inside of us. Father, we strive and we struggle to, we strive to be the men and women that you have called us to be. And we somehow feel that we may let you down from time to time. But in the end of the day, you love us, you accept us, you push us, you drive us, mainly because you know what we can become. You know the superheroes that we are supposed to be. You know the impact that we are allowed to have. And Father, I just pray that we will find that, seek you, you will reveal it to us, and that, Father, we can fulfill the process that you started in our lives in all those that are in our world. Thank you for your love and care for us. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.